I didn't realize today was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And yet, in my sermon, we'll be talking about that. So it's interesting how God works, and I would like to dedicate our prayer to the persecuted church. You know, the the world is very dangerous, in which we know it. And when someone feels called to go out in the mission field, I have friends that are in Sudan right now. It's not a very peaceful place. But yet their gut, they went because they felt called by God to go to this place, and, and people are being killed all the time. Some people are being killed just because they're Christians or they, they are just preaching the gospel, trying to help people. It's, it's, it's uh, something that happened in Jesus' day as he talked about it, and it's happening throughout history, beginning even with the, even with the martyrs of the, of the church. So I want to dedicate this prayer to them using the, the bulletin as a, as a guide. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, Lord, and you know each missionary that has been sent out into the world, even today. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen and encourage them. I know as they go day by day, they don't live in America. They don't have all the blessings of America and all the different conveniences that we have here in America, even like electricity. And yet they go out willingly, Lord, because you called them to go out to share the light into a dark place. So I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them today. I pray, Lord, for your protection of pastors and evangelists who share the gospel in restricted and hostile nations. Lord, we know even in the Arab nations, like in Saudi Arabia, Lord, we know, Father, there are underground churches that meet as well in China, as well as in other places, Lord, in this world. They meet daily, not in open like we do, because we enjoy the freedoms that you've given us, Lord. But, you, Lord, they meet in secret. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep them safe. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage Christians whose family members were killed for living out their faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that government officials in hostile and restricted nations would come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. Lord, this would solve all the problems of the world, Lord, if we would know Christ truly as our Savior and Lord. And I pray for that, Lord. I pray earnestly for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would bring this world under your conviction, that you would bring many into the church of Jesus Christ, into the invisible church of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for persecuted Christians, that they would still boldly witness for you. Even to the persecutors, Lord. We read stories after stories, Lord. Of even Stephen, the first martyr, how he still witnessed to them even as he was being stoned. And I pray, Lord, that you would give boldness. I think of the disciples, the early disciples were told not to preach Scott Christ, and yet they said they would rather obey God rather than man, and that they asked for boldness. Sometimes, Lord, we just need the Holy Spirit to shake us up, shake our church up, and to shake us up, Lord, to realize, Father, what truly a gift we have in the gospel. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us and that you would take that gospel using us even to some hostile places here in America, that we would not care about our own lives, but we would care for the gospel and care for that Jesus would be preached. So I pray, Lord, for Christians and free nations that we would stand up with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would boldly go forth and present the gospel to the lost world. Father, I just pray that you would just be with us today. I know there are many unspoken requests, even in our own congregation. I pray, Lord, that there, that you would continue to be with those loved ones that do not know Christ. I pray you would be with our, with our loved ones and friends that are hurting and, and are, are not feeling well. We know, Jesus, you're the great physician and you can heal us. So, Father, we do pray that you would continue to be with us, strengthen us, give us boldness. And help us, Father, to be a witness for you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Parable of the marriage feast. I didn't ask for an altar call, and look what happened. <laughs> We don't do that here, right? <laughs> okay, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I prepare my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted livestock. All are butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many of you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner desk, he saw a man there who was not dressed and went in close. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, into the place, in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Lord, I ask again, we're so dependent upon you and your spirit to teach us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this passage of Scripture, that we would just not be doers, hearers of your word, but doers as well. Bless this, the reading of this word now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In heaven... 
there is going to be a wonderful and an amazing wedding feast. And who is going to be coming to that wedding feast? Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit will be there. And all those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and Lord will be there. All of us, we who truly believe in Christ, we're going to go to a great wedding feast. In Revelation 19, 6-9, we read this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the land has come and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. The question I have for you this morning is this. If you were invited by the king, our great God, to the gospel wedding feast of his son, would you come or would you say, no, because I'm just too busy? Would you reject the gospel to come to this great wedding feast that is pictured in our parable? And just because you're invited... Does that mean that you have been chosen to be a true believer in Jesus Christ? For we will see in this parable that not all that are invited by the king to the wedding feast are chosen. As Jesus ends with this amazing statement in this parable, for many are called, but few are chosen. But first, I want you to look deep down into your own hearts as you listen to God's inspired and infallible word, to see where you would be personally in our parable. For what Jesus does is to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it is pictured for us as God's invitation to the wedding feast of his son. God is offering an invitation of people to believe in the gospel of his son. As Christ's ambassadors, we are to go out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting the people in this world to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And we should not be surprised at the response we would receive when the world openly rejects the gospel. But praise God that people do come and sup with Jesus and believe in him. We should never give up on preaching the gospel, my friends, my Christian friends. For each one of us is proof that God is working in the hearts of people and people are accepting the invitation to come to the wedding feast of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So as we look in this parable, I want us to look at this parable in three different scenes. In the first scene, we see the king inviting Certain guests, and he has to invite them two different times. And the second scene shifts to an invitation to all types of people, good and bad. And when the first guests refuse to come, these particular people 
come to the wedding feast. Then the third scene centers on just one man who came to the wedding feast but refused to put on the wedding garments. So Jesus speaks to the crowd in a parable and tells them a story that pictures what the kingdom of heaven is like. In our first scene, we see Jesus telling us about a king who invited certain guests that he had in mind to come to the wedding banquet or the feast of his son. This parable, as I have said, represents the gospel offer. For this is a feast that the king made for the marriage of his son. The king is God and the son is Jesus Christ. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. The gospel covenant is a marriage covenant between Christ and his believers and is a marriage of God's making. God initiates the invitation as we see the king inviting the guests. The king sends out his servants just as he would send us out to invite them to a wedding feast of his son. But note, they do not come. What if Governor Scott, the Honorable Governor Scott, right? The state of Florida had a great party. And before you know it, he sends a special messenger to knock on your door and invite you to his party. What would your response be? You'd probably be, first of all, amazed. Amazed at why me, little old Joe Paul, going to come to the uh, a party that the governor has? I'd be amazed. What would I do? Would I would I say no? I'm I'm not coming, or that I'm just too busy? I think I would make every effort to come, since it, I would believe it would be an honor to attend, since. After all, it's the governor who personally invited me. I would put Marlon there too, okay? Good idea, huh? I put on my best outfit. I'd be so glad that I was one of the few that got invited to the governor's party. Because not everyone's going to get to go. My neighbor didn't get it, (laughs) but I got one. I think all of us would come. We won't hesitate to come. But note in the parable that the king's invitation to the wedding banquet of his son, the people would not come. The servants of the king go out faithfully with this wonderful invitation and try to persuade the invitees to come. And to the servants' amazement, they make a decision not to come. This is the king inviting you to the royal feast of his son, And you are not willing to come? Note what the king does. Okay, forget it. No. We see a marvelous long-suffering impatience of the king as he issues the first call, first issues a call or invitation. And after being rejected on the first call, he sends his servants again, earnestly summoning the invited guests to come, probably to his amazement, These first invitees are still unwilling to come. So he sends other servants, instructing them to present an even more urgent message. A moving appeal for everything is ready, he tells them. There's no lack of food, butchered oxen, fatted calf. Two invitations to come to the son's wedding banquet in our first scene. And within these first two invitations, 
the king is rejected. Like the parable of the wicked tenants, we see the persistence and the patience of the king. What grace and love we see in this king pictured here as our God in sending out his messengers, not once, but two different times. The first time they refused to come. The second time they're too busy to come because, for they paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his own business. When the servants came with the invitation, we see in verse 6 that they were mistreated and they were even killed. Does that surprise you? Did you notice the two attitudes displayed here in the first invitees? The first attitude is indifference. Those who were invited are far more interested in their own earthly matters than in the matters of the king. This pictures the world as being so interested in earthly matters rather than heavenly things, in material things rather than spiritual. If you look at our day, in our culture, we see people obsessed with wealth and accumulating more and more wealth. These invitees are more concerned in the farm and the place of business than to accept the king's invitation to a wonderful banquet and all they had to do was come. The world's interest is in the here and now and not concerned about the eternal promises of the gospel. All you have to do is turn on the news and see what our young people are, are involved with. They want to get better jobs. They want to be doing this. They want to be doing that. They're not concerned about what God wants for them. The people in this world would rather put all their interests in this temporary world rather than the salvation that is full and free. The world would rather gather up temporary treasures on earth than gaining spiritual treasures in heaven that last throughout all eternity. The first attitude leads us to the second attitude, and that is active hostility. They were grabbing the servants. They were treating them shamefully, and they were even murdering some of them. The servants were only bringing the gospel or the message or invitation of the king, and yet they were persecuted first by rejection and then by death. What a picture we have here of those who bring the gospel to the lost. We have heard even in our days how missionaries are persecuted to death for bringing the gospel to people. And all they did was preach the gospel. Yes, at first, loss may just refuse to come to the gospel. But then it grows into paying no attention to those sent out into the world. And then in some cases, it even leads to death. Why? Because the gospel tells people they are lost and that they are condemned to eternal hell and that they need to repent of their sin and get right with God. They are not willing to come to Jesus Christ's table and feast upon his salvation, but utterly reject it and sometimes with great hostility. And yes, we know that it was not for God even giving them the faith to believe that they would never come. But we believers must be faithful, even as the servants were to their king, to bring the gospel to the lost as God uses us as his instruments. Sometimes it takes great sacrifice for us to take time with people to display to them the gospel 
But we are commanded to go out and preach the gospel. You know, I have witnessed to lots and lots of people. I'm sure some of you have witnessed to people. And you know, and I know, that what happens is, first of all, you might get laughed at, you might get rejected, you might get scorned. But what is all that? You're not getting rejected. Jesus Christ is getting rejected. We are only the instruments of Jesus Christ throughout the history of Christianity. Many have given their lives for the sake of the preaching of the gospel to the lost, including Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament who was stoned to death. And then he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amazing. He was witnessing about the power of Christ, even as he was being stoned to death. You know, I ask myself this question. I hope I can answer it. Yes. Would I give up my very life for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I hope I would. I believe I would. But we don't know until we're in that situation. Jesus said we will be persecuted for his name. These first invitees rejected the offer of the king. But why? How could they reject such a feast? Note that the king, like our God, has provided everything for his guests. Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatty cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Everything is ready. You don't have to bring a covered dish. You only have to bring yourself. This, my Christian friends, is what heaven will be like as we go and meet our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, as he has furnished everything for us, as he went to the cross for you and for me, as he paid all our sins at Calvary, having died, buried, and risen again. When we accept the invitation, believe in his son with the faith that he has provided for us through the Holy Spirit, we, the elect, will come with empty hands to the cross. We will bring only our sinful selves, asking God for mercy and forgiveness as we repent for all our sins. Everything is ready. The dinner is prepared for this marriage, is made in heaven and accomplished here on earth in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have all the privileges of church membership, all the blessings of the new covenant. We have Christ's righteousness. We have the promises of the gospel. We have all the spiritual riches contained in them. Access to the throne of grace. The comforts of the Spirit of God and a sure hope of eternal life. We could not do this in our own strength or good works, but only God can provide all of this for us. These are the preparations for the gospel feast, a heaven upon earth now and a look into what heaven will be like. It is an eternal feast made from love that our God freely gives to all that will believe in his son. Everything is ready. Everything. And what was the response to the first invited guest in our first scene? Rejection of that wonderful feast. Where are you in your life right now with Jesus Christ? Maybe you have heard the gospel for many years 
over and over and over again, and you still have not believed. And we as Christians, where are we in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Would we be willing to give up our lives for Christ because he was so willing to give up his life for us? The response of the king in our parable is judgment. In the midst of grace, we see judgment upon those who would reject the offer of the king. There's a limit to God's patience and long-suffering. In Genesis 6-3, we see God judging the world with a flood as he saw how great the wickedness of man had become on the earth. In Proverbs 29-1, we read, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Jesus tells us in this parable that the king sent out his army, destroyed these murderers, and burned their cities. So we see first in this first scene the king's long-suffering and patience and persistence in inviting the wedding guests to the wedding feast of the sun. And that pictures God's grace and then judgment to those who refuse and accept the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. In our second scene, the king tells his servants that the wedding banquet is ready, but those he invited do not deserve to come. They were not worthy. So he sends his servants to go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants go out into the streets. They gather up all the people, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king's plan that his son shall have a good wedding cannot be foiled. His will cannot be thwarted. The first invitees proved themselves unworthy, but these invitees did not even deserve the honor of this invitation. The first invitees were selectively invited, but refused to come. The second invitees were all invited. It didn't matter to the king who they were or what standing they had, good or bad, but not unlike the first invitees, they do come. They do come. The meaning is clear of what Jesus is telling his audience and us. When the Jews were first invited, they refused to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Other people, great in numbers, then are brought into the kingdom. These others are mostly from Gentiles, though Jews are not excluded. The fact that both good and bad are brought into the kingdom illustrates for us the visible or the local church. And this tells us that not all invited are truly chosen to be true believers in the visible or local church. You see in this parable that the offer of the gospel is now for all, entirely of race, nationality, gender, social standing. Anybody can come. Yes, it's true that Jesus often went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And Paul tells us that the gospel is first offered to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In Romans 1.16. But when the Pharisees and the Sadducees reject Jesus as a Messiah, the gospel and God's eternal plan, which always was his plan, of salvation is offered to all. We see glimpses of God's plan in the Old Testament with Rahab, the harlot, who was a Gentile. And then the whole city of the Gentile city in Nineveh. We see Gentiles being ushered in even in the Old Testament. For what does Isaiah say in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7? He says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. That's Israel. I will take hold of your hand. 
I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. It was in God's plan all along to include the Gentiles. It was in God's plan to use Israel to be the light to the Gentiles all throughout the world. It is God's plan that he uses us, the church, to bring Jesus as, as the light into all the world. I say to all of you, I say this to you over and over again. Go out in all your neighborhoods. Go to your place of work, if you work. Go to schools and preach the gospel to anyone who would listen, regardless of who they are in life. Go to all the street corners and invite them to believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has provided everything they need for salvation. If you claim to be a Christian, you don't have an option. It's a command from our Savior to go out all in the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you a true believer in Jesus? Are you sure you're going to be at the wedding feast of his son? Then come to the Savior, and Jesus will welcome you with open arms. It is crucial that you personally look into your heart to see if you know and believe Jesus. For look what happens in our third scene. A third scene moves to a man who did not put on his wedding clothes. But what do you make of that? The parable could have ended with all the guests from every street corner coming to the king's son, son's wet wedding. After all, the most comforting statement of all in this parable is the one at the close of verse 10. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. The wedding feast of the king's son could go on with everyone having a great time. But there was a problem. When the king came in to observe the guests, he sees one man did not put on his wedding garment. In verses 11 through 14, we see a man who is not wearing a wedding robe. And this tells us that not all that are invited to the wedding feast were truly saved and destined for the joys of heaven. Not all, as I've said in the visible local church, our church, are saved. God will not allow you into heaven based on your good works, like coming to church or giving money to the church or even being baptized. Good works cannot save you. You have to repent. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation to be saved, trusting only in his finished work on the cross. You have to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection of what Jesus did for you. As I've said before, you have to come to the cross with empty hands, repenting, believing that Jesus' blood and sacrifice paid for your sin. So the king sees this one man. And he asked the man, why do you not have on your wedding clothes? And note the man's response. He was speechless. He had no excuses. You might say to me, well, Joe, this is totally unfair of the king. These people were summoned hastily by the king to come, and they were unprepared to come in the wedding garments. You might say, hey, at least they showed up. The first ones didn't. But remember what the king said in verse 4? 
Everything is ready. Everything is ready. It is by the command of the king and from his bountiful supplies at the entrance of the wedding hall, a wedding robe or garment had been offered to each guest. All except this one person, as far as we know, had accepted a robe or wedding garment. This one man, however, looked at his own robe and told the attendant, well, my own robe is probably good enough. I don't need to wear the king's robe. Then in an attitude of self-satisfaction and maybe defiance, he marched to his own table and where he was reclining when the king asked him, where is your wedding garb? Listen to Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says this, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness deeds are like filthy garments, rags. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind take us away. Why do I think this happened this way? I go back again to verse 4 that the king has provided, including the robes, everything, that they did not need to bring a thing to the wedding feast, including wedding clothes. I take you back to Revelation chapter 19 of how the wedding feast is going to happen in heaven. Let us be glad and triumphant and let us give him the glory for the wedding of the land to come and his bride, that is us, the believers, have made herself ready. Fine linen was given her to wear. That's in Revelation 19. Bright and clean, for the fine linen indicates the righteous deeds of the saints. I take you to Isaiah chapter 10, 61, verse 10. Listen to what Isaiah says. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in the Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Can you see what Jesus is describing here in this parable? He is describing the visible church of anybody, good or bad, be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the Son of God. Not all in the wedding feasts are chosen, just invited. Last verse of the parable. This man refused the garments of salvation from the king, who is God. The robes represent the righteousness of Christ, and those guests who accepted Christ's, righteousness of, of Christ's robes of righteousness accepted that they were sinful and had no righteousness of their own. They were not trusting in themselves or in their own good works, but in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The man who refused the king's robe was trusting in his own filthy righteousness, rags in the sight of God, and therefore was rejected by the king who was God. You cannot be saved. Listen to the word of God. You cannot be saved just because you think you're a good person. Only in what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection, and his perfect life, will you ever, ever, ever be saved. And when, and when, I, when I told you about 2 Corinthians 5.21... What I was telling you is when, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, is buried in resurrection, when, when we believe in Jesus Christ, he takes our sin from us 
Okay? And in its place, he gives us his righteousness. That's called imputation in the Bible. Transferring one thing to another in account. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, that's what happens. So therefore, when I get to heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? I'm going to say, because I was good. Not going to cut it. It's going to be because I stand in Christ and in his righteousness and I have his robes. That's what gets us into heaven. What Christ did for us when he took our sin, when he shed his blood, when he suffered so much for us, when he did that for us. That's the gospel. And that, and he not, doesn't stop there. He gives us his perfect righteousness because he was the perfect lamb of God. And so you see, we can't be saved because we're just good. We can't be saved because we think our garments are good enough to get into heaven. We need to put on Jesus Christ. We need Christ's righteous garments. It would satisfy, it will satisfy a holy God. If you reject Christ, you're rejecting everything he did at the cross of Calvary. You're rejecting the whole gospel story. You know, the king saw this man and he told his servants to tie him hand and foot, throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a description of hell, separation from God, punishment throughout all eternity if you do not come and believe in Jesus Christ. This is serious. This is not something that we, we have this treasure as Christians. We are entrusted with the gospel. Share the gospel. Preach the gospel. It's not a pretty picture here. But I'm not going to mince over the scripture. I'm not going to get away from this scripture passage. This is a real Eminent thing that we need to understand that when people do not know Christ as their Savior and Lord, they will go to hell. And that's what it's saying here. This is why we there's an urgency for us to go out and preach the gospel to the lost. You know, Christ not only imputes his righteousness upon the believer so that we're not condemned, but he also imparts his righteousness in us so that we can live holy lives. What does Paul tell us in Galatians 3.27? For all of you who are baptized, spiritually baptized in Christ, have clothed yourself in Christ. Ephesians 4.24 says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Well, in the beginning of this passage in the sermon, I talked to you about who you were in this parable. Okay? Who were you in this parable? I ask you to look deep into your hearts and let God's word penetrate in your heart. I ask you to do that. Are you 100% sure that you're going to the wedding feast of the king? That is pictured in Revelation 19. Are you sure? 100%. Are you one of Christ's servants willing to be sent out by our God to preach the gospel, inviting people to believe in Jesus Christ, regardless of what might happen to you? Are you like the people who have rejected the gospel invitation? There are people every day that don't believe in the gospel. Are you like the man refusing to believe in Jesus Christ and trusting in your own righteousness? You still have your old rags on. Or have you accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and Lord and now have been given Christ's righteous garments? 
So I ask you right here and now, please, I implore you by the gospel, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, come and believe in him. Talk to one of the elders after the service. I don't know your hearts. God knows your hearts. God knows all about you. And I'll tell you, Jesus said, but many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do.